From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. If you listen to the show, this won't come as a huge surprise, but I've been a politics dweeb for a long time. It's an affliction that dates back to when I was a teenager, and you don't have to take my word for it. Well, I really liked you because you really were interested in government, you were interested in politics, and you were interested in how it all worked. This is uh, my old high school civics teacher, Miss Edna Sutton. Can I just, can I keep calling you Miss Sutton? I wish you would. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I had Miss Sutton my senior year, and at some point during her class, she assigned an open-ended research paper, told us to go forth and tell her something about American government. So I Googled around for a couple of hours, and I found out about this strange project. It was on the Electoral College. And by the way, here's an alternative, the national popular vote, which I'd never heard of. Yeah, and that alternative, like you said, was the National Popular Vote Compact. And and chances are you have heard about this over the last few weeks. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But back then, 12 years ago, this still felt like something out of like a late night college dorm room debate or a a high school civics paper. Um, The basic idea is that the states would agree to pledge their electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote. And it would only go into effect once the compact had enough states to always decide the presidency. And like at that time, Ms. Sutton, where did you think the efforts did? Like, what did you see as its prospects? Well, at that time, I felt that it was somewhat unrealistic. Interesting, a curiosity, but unrealistic. Are you kidding me? Um, Because the Electoral College, to me, it was a reservoir of power for the small states. But since I wrote that paper, um, other people have become much more enthusiastic about this plan. And I don't think it's hard to see why. How improbable is this, what we're seeing right now, that Donald Trump has defeated Hillary Clinton to become president-elect? Hillary Clinton might not have lost everything. Secretary Clinton will likely win the popular vote for president. Hillary Clinton lost by getting more votes. Hillary Clinton's national popular vote lead over President-elect Trump has now surpassed two million votes. Much of that margin coming from heavily... Now, once all was said and done, Clinton won three million more votes than Trump in 2016. That's the largest popular vote margin ever for an electoral college loser. And as you probably know, it was the second time in 16 years that a Democrat had lost the presidency despite winning the popular vote. Yeah. So it shouldn't be a huge surprise that Democrats have embraced this plan. And so far, 11 states have signed on, including New York, California, Massachusetts, and D.C. And according to you, the next one's Colorado. It looks like it, yeah. The legislature has passed it through. Governor Polis says he plans to sign it. Only blue states have passed this so far. But if Colorado becomes the next state, we'd be probably the most, you know, like purplish state to join the compact. Well, Sam, tell me about this uh, national popular vote. Is it really viable or is it just a bunch of blue states getting angry and want to have things their way? Uh, that, Miss Sun, is precisely the kind of question we try to answer on this show. So why don't you stick around and we can see if we can get an answer to that. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, Miss Sutton, you wanted to know if this national popular vote thing could ever work. Do I have that right? You do. Tell me if it's a fantasy or a practical policy. What do you think? Fair enough. Um, To do that, I think a good place to start is with the guy who came up with the entire concept in the first place. Uh, Sam, this is John Coza. I'm the chair of National Popular Vote. I should say Dr. John Coza. This guy is a Ph.D. computer scientist who spent a lot of time thinking about the Electoral College. In fact, in his 20s as a graduate student. We published a board game based on winning the presidency using the quirks of the Electoral College. Oh, an Electoral College board game? (laughs) That sounds kind of fun. Is it still around? Uh, We looked for some copies to see if we could buy it and play it online. We couldn't come across any. Uh, But he came up with this game way back in 1966. And uh, it's this massive map of the U.S. crisscrossed with dots and lines and different scales to measure electoral success. Koza says it was a total flop. Well, it was way too complicated, and uh, no, it was not a commercial success. So the game contained what Koza sees as the basic problem with the Electoral College. We talked earlier about candidates who have won the presidency despite losing the popular vote. The reason that happens are these winner-take-all rules, which just say... If you're ahead in a state, you get all of the state's electoral votes. So if you can find a combination of states where you're just barely ahead, you can get all of those states' electoral votes and become president. And uh, Koza says part of the problem is it means a lot of states go ignored. Each time around, as we definitely know in Colorado, candidates tend to only focus on a dozen or so swing states where even the smallest margin could get the whole block of electoral votes. And it's not only in the campaign. Every president is looking to be reelected. So every policy he executes is colored to some degree about politics of his reelection campaign. In other words, presidents play favorites with purple states. Coza says they get more federal grants, more environmental enforcement, and more waivers from certain laws. But uh, not all states have this winner-take-all system. Maine and Nebraska don't. Yeah, that's true. They use this different method where most of the state's electoral votes are split up by congressional district. And that's really important because it means that winner-take-all rules actually aren't in the Constitution. And Coza thinks that might be a loophole that could let states get around the Electoral College. Now, Sam, I'll remind you, as your teacher, your civics teacher, that the Electoral College is in the Constitution. Remember Article 2? And the founders put it there for reason. And in case I need to remind you, I have my pocket Constitution right here. (laughs) Do you just carry that with you wherever you go? Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You just happen to have a constitution on you? Well, you know, you might be having a glass of wine, you know, and the bartender needs to know something, and then you can help them out. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is good, because you're right. The Electoral College is in the Constitution, and amending it out would be really hard. But that constitutional language about the Electoral College might itself contain a way out of it. Um, Can you read that section? All right. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. Yeah, as the legislature thereof may direct. Koza realized those words are really important. The Constitution explicitly gives the states exclusive and plenary power to award electoral votes as they decide. 
that means maybe a state could give all of its electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote. I guess I would want to know, in 2004, Colorado defeated an initiative to have proportional representation. If they defeated uh, proportional representation, why do you think they would move to this radical idea of doing away with the Electoral College? (laughs) Ms. Sutton, that's a great question. I mean, just to add some context, you're talking about this 2004 ballot initiative in Colorado that would have split up our electoral votes. And COSA did pay a lot of attention to this idea because it would have put an end to winner-take-all in a key swing state. So instead of being nine to nothing uh, for George Bush in that case, the electoral votes would probably have divided five for Bush and four for Kerry. But the problem was that Colorado voters hated this plan and that initiative was resoundingly defeated. It was. I do recall that it was. Why would we give up the power, our power as a swing state, and, and our influence that it carries? Yeah, and, and COSA realized the same thing, that states weren't just going to give up their influence in presidential elections. So he thought about it, and he realized he needed a way for states to team up, right, to pool their electoral votes together and give all of those votes to the winner of the national popular vote. And it just so happened he built a career on helping states do things together, really big things. Across the country, it's time for America's favorite jackpot game. Get ready, everybody. This is Powerball. Good evening, America. See, John Koza isn't just a guy obsessed with the Electoral College. He's also the brains behind modern state lottery games. Well, after I got out of school uh, in 1972, uh, I started a company called Scientific Games, which introduced the uh, rub-off instant lottery ticket. Koza's being a little humble here. I mean, he actually helped invent the scratch lotto ticket. Oh, my word. Is that right? (laughs) He's a pretty incredible guy. Um, And remember, states run lotteries, but the reason people can play big lottos, like Powerball, across state borders are these things called interstate compacts. Well, it's it's just an agreement or a contract. What it says is that my state will do something that it wouldn't ordinarily do unless it knew that other states were going to do the same thing. Koza thinks that interstate compacts could be a way for states to game the Electoral College. They could each pass laws pledging their electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote, but those laws don't take effect until states having a majority of the electoral votes pass the very same agreement. A majority is 270 out of 538. 270 also being what's needed to elect the president. And Koza admits this is basically an end run around the Constitution. People like to use the word end run in sort of an insulting way, but uh, in football, an end run is a legal play, yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound right. That sounds a little devious. It's a little tricky um, because it doesn't get rid of the Electoral College, right? It uses it against itself to make it irrelevant. It's a hack and a really clever one. So, so, Mr. Brash, you've explained how it works, but you have not answered my original question. Could it work? You're going to have politicians, you're going to have lawyers, 
and you're going to have judges coming down on this because you're not supposed to be hacking the Constitution, correct? Correct. And I think that's all true. Tell you what, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll look at whether Colorado could really help change the way we elect the president. All right. Hi, so this is Megan Verlee, Sam's editor, and if you're enjoying Purplish, it's my fun job to pop in and try to convince you to support it with money. Yeah, I know you get Purplish for free, so why pay? Well, here in public radio, we have been convincing people to donate for free news for decades because that is the only way that free news streams keep flowing. Your support is vital to help us grow and experiment and bring you more important and unusual things, like purplish. So please, visit CPR.org and make a gift. You can even leave a comment if you like this show. And, of course, you do like the show, right? Okay, so give at CPR.org. And thank you. From the top, yep. Okay, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. And I'm Edna Sutton, Sam's old high school civics teacher. And this episode, we are thinking about the National Popular Vote Compact. And I'm trying to figure out if this idea has a chance at all. (laughs) Nailed it, Miss Sutton. Thank you. Uh, Now, Sam, you remember my class. I would give quizzes. But uh, I didn't call them that. No, you didn't. You had a different name for them. Yeah, I called them uh, quizzy poos, right? <laughs> well, here's your quizzy poo. If this compact can pass in a purplish state like Colorado, does it actually stand a chance of becoming law? All right, I think that's a great question because we mentioned that for this compact to take effect, it needs 270 electoral votes, a majority of the electoral college. Right now it has support from states representing 172 electoral votes, so it has 98 to go. And just to be totally clear, all of that support is from deep blue states, correct? Yes, that is correct. So the first state to sign on was Maryland back in 2007. Then it was New Jersey, Illinois, Hawaii, Washington, Massachusetts, and Vermont. And in 2011, a behemoth of a state signed on. California today became the eighth state in the nation to join a national popular vote movement. Rhode Island after that, and then another huge blue state. New York has become the latest state to join an agreement that would transform the way we elect the president of the United States. And then Connecticut was the last state to join in 2018. So Colorado would be the first inland purple-ish state uh, to join the compact. But I really think it'd be a mistake to think that means that this compact is gaining a broader appeal. Why is that? Well, I've watched this proposal move through the state capitol, and it's been an all-out partisan brawl. And to show you how, I want to take you to the last debate lawmakers had about this plan. Hello, everyone. (laughs) The House will come back to order. Colorado representatives stayed late at night, and they settled in for hours of debate about this bill. Mr. Randall, please read the title of Senate Bill 42. Concerning adoption of an agreement among the states to elect the President of the United States by national popular vote. And you had Democrats saying that this proposal would equalize voters across the country, give everyone an equal say in presidential elections, no matter where they live. Each one of you, each soul, each individual, each family member, each mom, dad, each of your votes is going to have the same impact in choosing who your president is. I respect everybody. And the Republicans? 
So not a single Republican supported this as a move through the state capitol. And their main objection is that the Electoral College protects Colorado as a whole. And that gives rural Colorado a fair say in presidential years. We are one of those flyover states that we're talking about. And you might as well just kiss it goodbye. We are giving away the extra weight that our voice has in Colorado under the Electoral College. And it seems to me like we are offering to volunteer our votes to the population centers of the United States. And they routinely singled out a few of those population centers that people in this state love to bash on. They said a popular vote would give all of our power in presidential years to New York and California. So under the national popular vote, they're right. I mean, it would make the rural part of the country irrelevant. Wouldn't candidates focus on cities like New York, L.A., uh, Houston? I mean, yeah, they might. Presidential candidates have limited time and resources. And under a popular vote, they'd probably focus on places where they could get the most votes. And Republicans say we know that because we see it on the state level. Governors are elected by popular vote. And in the last election, most candidates catered to the front range. In the last election, a blue dagger came down from the from the north and took in Fort Collins, Boulder, Denver, like that. And you elected a governor. And you announced he'd been elected before we counted the votes in my county. That's how much we matter. But Democrats countered that the Electoral College doesn't help all rural voters, just those lucky enough to live in swing states. In a system like ours, the rural states lose because none of the 10 most rural states in our country are battleground states. They say a popular vote means candidates would have to court individuals, not just certain states where the vote could go either way. But that's not the way it was thought of for the uh, president. For most of our, our nation's history, we didn't think of ourselves as Americans. That was long after the Civil War. Prior to that time, we were North Carolinians or Georgians or Virginians. Sure, and Republicans did raise points about state sovereignty to argue against a popular vote. But at times, these on-the-merits arguments just took a backseat to raw partisan politics. Like at one point, Republican Representative Perry Buck took the podium, and she had a clerk project a map of the 2016 election. Take a look at that map, would you please? America! America. See the, see the beautiful red that President Donald Trump won? And look at the blue and just ask yourself, where's the most populated area? And she suggested this proposal. It was really just a Democratic power grab. Ensuring your party's candidate wins the presidential election is the most diabolical result of the national popular vote interstate compact. It would be the largest, most obvious, and most impactful case of gerrymandering ever accomplished in this country. You can't just talk about these high-minded arguments over our constitutional republic. At some point, it's also just going to be a bare-knuckle fight over who has and who gets power. Now, is it a partisan issue here, just here, or is it across the uh, country? 
um, across the country, but that's kind of only happened recently. Pollsters actually track what the public thinks of the idea of a national popular vote for president. And before 2016, a sizable majority of both parties supported switching to a national popular vote. And then, of course, Clinton won the national popular vote and Trump won the presidency in 2016. And uh, you'll see right here, here is a chart of opinion after that. And you can see that Republican support in changing the system just plummets. I mean, does that surprise you? Not at all. It does not surprise me at all. Uh, Because so many of uh, the Republican states are the smaller states, and it is to their advantage. Okay, well, it's clear rural states have an advantage, and you can see that really clearly when you look at Colorado and Wyoming. Under the Electoral College, each state gets electors for all of its U.S. representatives and then another two for its U.S. senators. So that means while Colorado has 10 times as many people as Wyoming, we only have three times as many electoral votes. Um, But not all of the smallest states are Republican. In fact, a good share of them are blue, like Hawaii and Vermont and Rhode Island. That said, I mean, it's obvious that the Electoral College has benefited Republicans in recent elections. Do you think that explains why it's gotten so partisan? Uh, People are seeing the system uh, gives an advantage to one party or the other? I mean, I don't think voters are reacting to the math on this one. After 2016, you saw leading Democrats say it was time to get rid of the Electoral College. So I think it needs to be eliminated. I'd like to see us move beyond it, yes. There's a simple solution to it. We have to just abolish the Electoral College. It's not... Ocasio-Cortez tweeting, quote, It is well past time we eliminate the Electoral College, a shadow of slavery's power that undermines our nation as a democratic republic. Since 2016, conservative pundits have also gone all in defending the Electoral College. And one made an especially inflammatory argument right after the election. Hi, I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks for watching us tonight. Abolishing the Electoral College. That is a O'Reilly starts by talking about some of the arguments we've already discussed. State sovereignty and protecting rural America. But then... Talking Boys believes this is all about race. The left sees white privilege in America as an oppressive force that must be done away with. Therefore, white working class voters must be marginalized. And what better way to do that than center the voting power in the cities? So he basically makes the case that that white voters have a vested interest in keeping the Electoral College to protect their own political power. And he just is so blunt about that. Summing up, left wants power taken away from the white establishment. They want a profound change in the way America is run. Taking voting power away from the white precincts is the quickest way to do that. That's a memo. And I got to be clear, like, this isn't an argument many people are making about this issue. Um, You certainly didn't hear it in debates at the state capitol. But it's just worth noting that, like, people who are out there stoking fears about a multiracial America, they like President Trump, and they especially like the system that elected him. And on the other side, Democrats also know that the Electoral College, it's not good uh, for them or their party, especially in the long term. So you just have, you know, a real partisan brawl playing out over this issue right now. So it sounds like the Electoral College has polarized the nation. 
Uh, what does it mean for that national popular vote compact? So in the short term, it's probably good. Democrats won full control of some states last year, like New Mexico and Maine. And so those states could now join the compact. But swing states like Florida and Ohio have the least reason to sign on to this. For the compact to succeed, it would probably need deep red states, places candidates ignore because they're a sure bet for Republicans. And even if they ever did somehow reach that 270-vote threshold, there's this much bigger question of constitutionality. Supporters say states can award their electoral votes however they want, but some scholars think this plan just pushes that power too far. That means if the compact ever did take effect, this whole fight would probably just move out of the state legislatures and into the courts. Well, whatever happens, it's amazing to me that they got Colorado. We have been a swing state for a very long time, um, and we are heavily courted by presidential candidates. Do you think that we really will give up that power? Well, okay, so it looks like Governor Polis is going to sign this legislation, but that's not to say that it's a done deal. The legislature should not be giving away our electoral college votes without actually consulting with um, the voters of Colorado. This is Rose Puglisi. She's a Mesa County Commissioner in Grand Junction on the Western Slope. And I'll be honest with you, since the national popular vote um, bill had been introduced, I get stopped on the street almost every day by constituents who do not want New York and California to decide where Colorado's electoral college votes go. And now she's doing something about it. She's leading a push to make sure that all Coloradans get the chance to vote on this national popular vote compact. And they're planning to circulate a petition to put a referendum on the 2020 ballot to just repeal this whole thing. So it's not a done deal. So the people will get a chance to weigh in on it. Yeah, the popular vote might be put to a popular <laughs> vote. Got it. So, like, what do you think, Miss Hutton? Um, did I pass this particular quizzy poo? Did I answer the question of whether or not this is a real viable policy? You did. And I'd say you've even bested your paper as a high school senior. And I want to say that uh, 12 years ago, I read your paper. And you might wonder, why would I remember it? Well, it was a new idea, and I had to research it myself to make sure you've got it right. And um, then I kept your paper, and I shared the ideas with uh, future students, uh, and I shared it with teachers. And so I've just sort of passed it along, this idea. And it's exciting to see now that it's a conversation that's going on throughout the country. And you and I have had a part of that. How about that, Sam? It's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. All right, Miss Sun, I was so glad to have you here with us. I'm hoping you can help me now close out the episode. Sure. All right. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about becoming a member at CPR.org. Miss Sutton, let me ask you, are you a member of Colorado Public Radio? Yes, I am. <laughs> That's great. All right. Be like Miss Sutton. Join CPR and support your local public radio station. I wrote and reported this episode. Sam's audio producers are John Pennell and Rebecca Romberg. Brad Turner and Daniel Mesher composed our music with additional music provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Editing help this week from Rachel Esserbrook, and this episode of Purplish, like every episode of Purplish, was edited by Megan Verlee. All right, I think we got it. What do you think, Miss Sutton? You got it. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>